Welcome to the podcast where heavy industrial industries meet the venture capital ecosystem, interviewing both thought-leading investors and pioneering founders to better understand the opportunities and challenges that lie ahead for digital industrial innovation. Your host is Ty Finley, and this is the Heavy Hitters Podcast. Santosh Sankar joins us today from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Santosh is a founding partner at Dynamo Ventures, a venture capital fund focused on pre-seed and seed stage enterprise startups in supply chain and mobility. Prior to his career in venture capital, Santosh was at Citigroup in their global financial institutions group focused on M&A, capital raising, and risk securitization. And he also covered IT hardware and wireless equipment companies as a public equities analyst at Wells Fargo. Santosh was also named to the Forbes 30 under 30 list in 2017. Santosh has invested in a n- numerous pioneering supply chain and mobility companies, including Stored, Gaddock AI, SVT Robotics, and more recently, Next Move and Backbone AI. Santosh, oh, how the podcast tables have turned here. I'm excited to now be interviewing you. <laughs> I'm uh, happy to uh, join you, Ty, and, and be on the show. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Right on. Well, this is, this is going to be a fun one, my friend, and uh, it is great to have you on the heavy hitter. So we, we always kick off. I did a little small snapshot, but walk us through your background that led you into this broader digital industrial arena and then co-founded Dynamo Ventures. Yeah, sure. So um, the story starts uh, about six years ago when I first was introduced to one of my partners uh, that I have the uh, pleasure of working with today, Ted Alling. And uh, Ted and uh, our other partner, Barry, they at, at that time had just recently exited their freight brokerage business. And uh, myself being in my mid-20s, were, it was having a, a bit of like a quarter-life crisis, I think my wife now calls it. And uh, I was looking to do something more entrepreneurial and I just didn't know quite how to break in to the world of VC. And uh, kind of listening to Ted dispense some advice and being very uh, kind of impartial and objective, uh, it ultimately led to him saying, hey, like there might be this opportunity around supply chain. Why don't we go build a fund around it? And uh, really kind of the crux and the aha moment really came from uh our partner john in the uk who you also know ty uh but ultimately good that that kind of fast forward um july 2016 we co-founded the firm closed our first fund that was an 18 million dollar fund and in retrospect that seems really tiny uh (laughs) because the venture markets are definitely rip roaring and perhaps being a bit irrational, depending on who you ask today. Um, but that, that ultimately is the uh, kind of founding story. But like as, as somebody who was not like soaked in, in industry, right? That also like thrust me in front of a variety of trucking executives, warehousing and 3PL operators, uh, dispatch managers, right? Truck drivers themselves, frontline workers in warehouses. And like very quickly was forced to develop not only empathy, but a deep understanding for the current state of the industry. And even today, you'll see that we spend uh, a disproportionate amount of time, perhaps relative to other VCs, with industry players. 
And what we're trying to do is we're trying to understand kind of the current state. What are priorities? How do you think about coaching a portfolio company to sell into an organization? And equally, how do you think about evaluating new opportunities as they come along because you have this privileged access, if you would, to both large as well as mid-sized enterprises that are relevant to the supply chain thesis we invest behind? Sure. And I mean, to what you, John, Ted, Barry, Allen, I mean, I remember it was 2015, 2016, we were all down in Chattanooga talking about startups. Uh, it's beyond impressive what you guys have built, Santosh, and we'll talk more about sector-focused funds, but just really good people too at the end of the day. So couldn't be more excited to have you on to tell more about the story. And and so to that theme around sector-focused funds and what you guys are focused on, Dynamo Ventures was one of the very first sector-focused seed funds that really lasered in on supply chain and mobility. And I, I think that's evident by your proven track record now of success investing in a lot of these traditional industries. So uh, we hit on a few of it, but just um, from a couple data points, set the stage for our discussion with our listeners. Tell us about the history of Dynamo when it got started, what it is now, your investment strategy. And finally, how how does your fund like to differentiate and add value along these sectors you focus on? Yeah. So, you know, when, when we first met Ty, um, we initially met around the accelerator we used to run, right? And, and we did that for a, a couple of years. And really alongside our first fund, the attention was that we would run an accelerator uh, in a way to develop our brand and build a sourcing capability. And as VCs, as, as fund operators, we had kind of made a hypothesis as founders do that we'd need to do that for at least three cycles. Um, and two cycles in, we kind of looked around and we said, we think we have the benefits here. And by the way, we think we have these benefits on a run rate basis going forward. Um, so we actually ended up sunsetting the accelerator and that ended up morphing into what we uh, operate these days called Founders Camp. And Founders Camp, uh, very much in the spirit of the accelerator, uh, serves as a way to bring together various stakeholders across supply chain technology. So we tend to have 20 incumbents, legacy corporates who are very innovation forward. And then every year we have 20 startups that we invite from around the world. And uh, the majority, by the way, are not in our portfolio because we view this as like a community building exercise. Um, and we bring them together and we facilitate these business development, partnership, mentorship sessions. Um, and we'll be uh, coming back this year in person uh, in November, uh, actually the same week as uh, the Freightways Festival here in Chattanooga. So I believe you'll be here in town as, as well, Ty. That'll so be, be good to Chattanooga Day week yeah. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but th that's kind of like part of our early genesis. But we uh, had this $18 million fund uh, and uh, it's now uh, kind of, I guess the steward of some fantastic investments. And we've been fortunate that uh, founders like Sean Henry at Stored, Gautam at Gaddick uh, have, you know, entrusted us as a partner uh, and allowed us to be on the journey with them. Uh, but when we come in, we are usually the first institutional check or one of the first institutional investors. Um, so we like to come in at what we dub the pre-seed seed stage. Right. Uh, we are OK with, you know, pre-revenue businesses that's in our pre-seed practice. 
And then those businesses that are kind of in the early days of revenue generation. So think like 20, 30,000 in monthly revenue of some kind. And we're able to then lean in. And this is where value add comes in. And value add for us tends to be distilled in three areas. The first is because we show up and we're seeped in industry, we have a prepared mind around your product, understanding what the market wants, what is the market saying, how are we calibrating what we're building so we are delivering something that people want to pay good money for, right? Kind of this march towards the quintessential product market fit um, slogan that VCs like to uh, talk about. But going hand in hand with that is how do you think about customer discovery? How do you get the right pilot customers? How do you convert contracts? That's where the second uh, pillar of value add around mobilizing our network. So bringing the Fortune 500 customers that are relevant into the room, being able to also help you understand the need for the rabbits, gazelles, um, whales or elephants, whatever one wants to call them, and ensuring that there's a healthy pipeline and revenue mix as you're looking to build to product market fit and have a great series A um, and really be prepared to scale. And the last thing, uh, and this is, I think, uh, definitely a, a function of approaching product market fit, is taking a step back and understanding like what types of people and skill sets do uh, we need around the table? Because when you hit product market fit, there's this realization by the really strong founders that my product actually becomes my business, right? It's the people in my business that will ultimately help execute against this vision. So where are there gaps in sales, in marketing, in product? Um, how can I then mobilize a hiring effort to fill those roles? And by the way, empower them in a way that they can be successful. Because if they're successful, the business succeeds at the end of the day. And ultimately, I think if you're to pick up the phone, call any of our portfolio companies, they would articulate our value add in, in those three ways. Yeah, I, I think the proof's in the pudding when you talk to founders. I know speaking for myself and to your point, even with Founders Camp, founders that aren't in your portfolio, you're just you're giving first and the network effect and ecosystem that you're building uh, is paying some big dividends. And uh, clearly, you guys are driving some value. So if anyone's listening, thinking about initial days, company formation, pre-CC, uh, you should definitely be reaching out to Dynamo for sure. Uh, Santosh, to move us for us here, um, we've written together in Freight Waves about this topic, and you and I have even spoken on, I think, two podcasts now about the need for sector-focused specialization to compete in today's VC market. So a few questions here. One, why is sector-focused differentiation important? Two, what are the benefits of having that focus? And then three, finally, why is it occurring, it seems to me, faster paced than ever as these new funds pop up? Mm. This is loaded, so let's uh, unpack it a little bit. Um, so, you know, back when Mark Andreessen uh, coined that famous phrase, software eats the world or is eating the world, I don't think there was as much realization that software is coming towards legacy industries such as supply chain, manufacturing, the built environment. And therefore, that crop of venture firms that were established 
they, they tend to have a very generalist focus. They tend to be enterprise SaaS based. And, you know, they've been successful in their own right. Who are we to knock them? But as you see this force of digital, try to get into things like trucking, right? Milling, warehousing fulfillment, last mile delivery. You come to the realization that this is actually inherently a much more complex and a much more involved operation. And therefore, the kind of static playbook that one might use when you're talking about bits and bytes, that's meaningfully different when you're talking about using bits and bytes to move atoms, right? Or to even create atoms, if you're thinking about manufacturing. And that's where having a specialist firm, especially in the early days, who is able to talk at the same level that you might be as a founder, who's able to help you scope out problems. And by the way, narrow down the focus of your problem set, because focus is ultimately one of the most important things at the pre-seed and seed stage. And then help you figure out what is that practical path to product market fit? And not necessarily dispense that these are the right answers or the wrong answers, but help pressure test and develop a process or a framework that ultimately delivers the founding team to an answer or response that underpins a really big industry-defining business. Does that make sense? It, it does. And I like your point. It's not knocking on anyone because we're, we're co-investing with everyone. We all want to bring our own strengths to the table. And that, at the end of the day, the most important part is we're all bringing value to the founders in our own way. So... Uh, I agree. Do you think do you think the trend of more of these funds coming to bolster their value add through a sector lens? You think? Well, do you think we'll see more of them? I do think we'll see more of them, um, and you you've likely observed this. I I do think that there's a crop of funds that have started as generalists but are now trying to plant a flag in a sector of some kind or sectors of some kind. And that's where I'm not so sure how that turns out, right? Because it, 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 like you know this, it's very hard for somebody to show up and say, I have sector expertise, but that's in healthcare, supply chain, and I don't know, you name it, real estate, right? Like mm -hmm. these tend to be pretty distinct industries. And there might be a period where uh, LPs who back funds like ours uh, end up spending more time to understand which sectors these funds are really strong in versus not. And equally understanding, if you are a uh, fund with a singular focus around manufacturing or supply chain or build tech, like why are, why are you winning? What is your advantage? What is your edge? Why is that enduring? So to kind of answer this the, uh, the, the long roundabout way, one, I think you'll see more of these, but I think you'll see increasing levels of skepticism, both by the people that entrust us with their capital, but also founders to ensure that what you claim to be able to provide us, you can actually provide. And ultimately that distills into network and kind of being embedded in industry. And sure. I think both of us are, 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 are kind of good examples of that, what it means to be embedded in industry. 
Yeah, I think there's a probably a long conversation we'd have. I, I kind of look at it as, does the investor really know the buying center for that industry? Because you can usually boil down, to your point about the complexities of go-to-market cycles, um, you can go after a lot of different end markets, but there are usually some translation of, of buying centers and challenges to associate yourself selling into them. That uh, That's what I would over-index on if I'm looking uh, from a founder's lens. So, and maybe the quick tag on here, we are in this stratification of seed a you know going into the growth stage so less about letters here do you think there's a difference between being a generalist fund and a specialist fund when you break it apart from the earliest stages of venture investing versus the later growth stages of investing hmm this is a good question um and i think a part of this has to do with fund sizes as well so uh kind of addressing the value of sector specific funds at the early stage versus the late stage. Um, I do think that at the earliest stages, pre-seed, seed, series A, there is a lot of value. And I think we're seeing founders also indicate this in having investors on your cap table that like deeply understand the problem you're going after and kind of using your words, Ty, because I like how you articulated it, understanding the buying centers that I need to build and sell to, that can have a material impact on the growth of a business early on. And then you kind of end up in this like middle stage, perhaps maybe series B, C, D, where you tend to have more generalist funds. And I think this is more about scaling and building organizations. And some of this is industry relevant, but equally, I think uh, one can take lessons learned from other sectors and apply them to the industries that uh, we like to look at, right? Kind of the cross-pollination uh, of, of perspectives. But then I think as a company approaches kind of that exit moment, whether it's a sale, whether it's an IPO, industry-oriented investors, once again, become really interesting because they can inform me on kind of trends in the market, uh, likely have relationships and access with high level operators and executives, board members. And that way are able to maneuver you either to the right partner or to what a exit strategy might be. How do you position to public market investors, right? So are able to kind of opine on that again, because of this uh, sector fiber that they bring to the table. So it might be a bit barbelled, if you would. Yeah. But I, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say at the end of the day, it, it's just bringing more and more resources to founders. Different stages of company formation and building have different needs for what that means from a value add perspective. So net net, it's just, it's great for founders, which is what this is all about. Anyway, I think we both agree on that. Um, so, Santosh, next question. Dynamo Ventures, um, you guys have done a really great job, well-known brand, in my opinion, to founders who are at the earliest stages of company formation and capitalizing the businesses in these sectors. So can you now help our listeners understand how you now define what is seed stage within these sectors of focus, given all the funding rounds and nomenclature? I mean, it's our day job. I, I can't even keep up with it. So what what is seed stage now? And what changes have you seen occur since you initially launched Dynamo Ventures? And then I've got a couple of side questions from that. <laughs> um, if anybody can very objectively tell me this in a very blanket uh, way, please do send me an email. <laughs> uh, but let me kind of take a hack at it 
as to how, how we frame it for ourselves. And I think it, it's important to also recognize that uh, kind of your, your fund size, your fund strategy plays an important role into what seed might mean for you. And the way we approach it is uh, we are very transparent with the world that you know we target 10% ownership prior to a Series A. And there are two ways we can uh, go about investing into a business. If we come in really early at the pre-seed stage, these tend to be companies that are pre-revenue or what I call like on the cusp of generating revenue. We could write checks right now in this market that are averaging about half a million. And we might be taking somewhere in the order of five to 8% ownership. And what we're kind of thinking through is as this company kind of approaches the next set of milestones for a fundraise, could we then increase our ownership? And we can increase our ownership because we've been a good partner to the founder, right? We've been there when they need us. That could be, you know, talking through founder issues, navigating difficult sales conversations, but equally like the more practical stuff, thinking through product, making customer introductions, making, you know, follow-on investor introductions. But in, in that kind of path, you can see how one would get to the 10% ownership, but maybe even exceed that. Um, and then you have the other side of the house where uh, our check sizes at this point are probably closer to a million dollars, but these are companies that are uh, revenue generative and um, are really looking to double down on their sales effort, on their product effort to get to product market fit. And that's where we need to get arguably 10% right there. But you both, or, or we both know rather that, um, you know, ownership, one does not look at in isolation. Like you have to think about market, you have to look at total opportunity, and you're able to be flexible within means uh, on that ownership target. But like you can then imply the type of post money valuations that make sense. So reasonably for us, like we define seed as things that are 10, 12 million post money. And we could stretch a little higher if the market opportunity is massive, right? And we're okay with saying we're still writing at the high end of our check size, but we are comfortable taking less ownership because if this works out, you're talking about a return that is monumental, right? Three, four, $5 billion, maybe $10 billion. Because um, equally at the later stage, you're seeing companies that are going public and they're demanding valuations that are 15, $20 billion. So these markets are just kind of getting larger and larger. And how does that impact us kind of in supply chain? How do we parse through that? is uh, probably a discussion in and of itself. Because what might work in SaaS, as we had said, may not necessarily be relevant and work in supply chain. Sure, and, and maybe to jump in there, because I've got a few sub-questions, maybe we can hit them quickly. To, to the point of what works in pure enterprise SaaS versus supply chain, and there's a lot of definition that goes under the surface there. But getting tactical, Within that definition of how you guys look at post-money valuations and ownership, which I, I think is clearly a prepared mind, what are the key metrics you're looking for in these earliest stages of investment in the sector? Because oftentimes, limited traction, right? What, what are you looking for? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I think between pre-seed and seed, and and you'll tell me this is a Series A investor as well, Ty. Like it, it, it's team, right? So we have an adage here that eighty uh, percent of our decision comes down to team. But what does that practically mean? What that practically means is that through the course of our interactions with any founding team, you will notice uh, as we take notes, uh, we'll make kind of um, observations on the team. Are they complementary? Uh, are they coachable? Do they have big vision? But do they still stay focused on execution and near-term outcomes, right? Because um, you don't want dreamers who have no way of getting to that end state. So how do you go from here to there? Um, are they self-aware? Are they engaging? Right? Are they able to walk into a room and maybe in the morning they're pitching Utah for funding, but then in the afternoon they need to go in front of a prospective candidate as a VP sales? Very different way of, of engaging both parties. But um, like that, we have 10 total qualities and in order to earn an investment from us, you have to check off all those qualities. And by the way, that does not include off-list references, on-list references that we ask founders for in order to validate these qualities, right? And, and get a sense of our working dynamic with the founding team. So the team is the most important thing. I cannot state that enough. And sometimes it's a sector-focused fund that takes people aback. Uh, but as a seed fund, like who am I to say that this year, we think international supply chain has great opportunity because the ports are backed up. You might not find the best of breed team this year who is building a company in that sector, right? So we have to be very open-minded and be led to these opportunities by great teams. And the one thing I will point out as well, it doesn't have to be a team of veterans necessarily, right? It's more about what is that advantaged insight? And why is that insight important to building this massive business? And if you look at uh, some of our standouts in Fund One, they are not industry veterans. David, uh, Nico, and Julius at Sender uh, are not veterans of trucking. Sean and Jacob dropped out of college to build store, right? So uh, we've, we've seen you need, depending on situation, one or the other. Sure. I mean, even at the Series A stage, yes, we're, we'll want to do our financial diligence. We're going to ask to pull up the model, but it's really just to see if they understand the levers of what's going to drive their business because that projection is going to change within six months, right? And so to your mm -hmm. point, the team is the most important part of it. And if you if you don't want to take two knuckleheads here on a podcast opinion, um, I think it was Kaplan Gompers got with HBS, uh, Stanford Business School, Booth School of Business, and the NVCA there's a research report out there called How VCs Make Decisions and quantitatively spells out for the earliest stages of investment, it's all about the team. So I think yeah. you nailed it on that one, Santosh. And then maybe the last, uh, to tie this one off, this this very controversial topic, or I guess controversial, who knows, the word blitzscaling. Does it work in supply chain and mobility settings, in your opinion, Santosh? Or what do you hmm. think blitzscaling is? Um. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily think of um, like blitz scaling as we look at our series B, C, D companies where you might hear that adage more. Um, I would kind of frame it 
in the realm of thinking about how do you grow fast? And you grow fast on the back of repeatable and scalable process. And we'll end up in an exercise oftentimes in those companies, even though we are early investors looking in, uh, trying to help a founder uh, think about where do you not have repeatable and scalable process, right? And I think most people talk about this in sales, but in our industry, we oftentimes see it around implementation. Uh, so it's not that you don't have repeatable and scalable sales perhaps, but we've been in situations where your implementations are not repeatable and scalable. And your implementations are not repeatable and scalable because you might actually have technical debt built up on the product side. And therefore you have a product that's just very hard to put into the wild. And as we think about supply chain, you're talking about an ecosystem uh, that has siloed systems. You're oftentimes dealing with legacy and monolith. You have then uh, behaviors, right? Change management, I think is a, is a large part of innovation and supply chain. How do you actually navigate all of this so that you have really strong revenue growth, the type of revenue growth that venture-backed companies are admired for. And I think we've uh, discussed this before, Ty, is that revenue growth at the early stages of scaling in an industrial technology business might look different. It might feel a little slower. It might be uh, more involved around professional services or implementation. But the thought is, as you work all of that through the system, you have certain attributes in this industry that you might not have in other industries, right? You're dealing with systems of record. These things, as a result, are naturally very sticky. Uh, they are also very critical. I think you coined the uh, kind of uh, statement, these can be GDP impacting decisions uh, around technology. And therefore, there's the commensurate dollars that go with it. And that's really what investors need to focus on, that while the ramp to that end state might feel a little slower and a little more involved, once you're at that end state, you might be looking at businesses as a class that are much larger than the fintech exits or the enterprise software exits we have experienced in the last 20 odd years. Yep. It's to be I seen. I, I think it's all great advice all the way around there. No, nothing but agreement there. Well, Santosh, final question for you here before we wrap up. Uh, words of wisdom. We always like to give go back to the founders here who maybe are out there raising venture capital. What what gets you excited about these early day companies? And, and maybe we'll just quickly break it apart is what are the keys to success as they approach you? And then what are some common challenges they should avoid uh, when they enter that discussion? Hmm. So I think the first thing is to head to our website and in the about us section, we have a three piece um, series that is an open book. It's what we like to invest in. It's what our investment process is. It's how we support. And I think those founders that actually go through that uh, get an understanding of the type of investors we are, how we like to engage. Um, so definitely go read that. Um, I think if you read that, you tend to have the pieces of success and how you might want to frame your pitch or, or the conversation um, ultimately when you speak to somebody on our team. I think the thing that founders these days do not spend enough time doing is giving themselves time as well as investors the time 
to do their homework and to make a decision. And I think it has to do with the fact that uh, there's just a lot of money flowing through the venture ecosystem. And you're seeing kind of the later mid-stage capital come more downstream. But you're talking about a lifelong partnership, right, with your investor. And I oftentimes joke with my founders, like, you're never really going to get rid of me, right? Like, your business is going to be a success. You'll exit it. But we're always going to be around. We've gone on this journey. Like, this is a life-changing journey uh, for you as a founder as well as for us as investors, especially if it's successful. So, like, give it thought, right? Like, take the time. Like, spend the month. Get on the phone a couple times uh, a week during that month. How do these people think? How do they make decisions? How do they behave when things aren't going as well? So like pick up the phone and call people on my portfolio page. Find a way to take references. Uh, I think that's really important. And, and hopefully people take that to heart because I, I truly think, you know, there's plenty of venture dollars to go around, but finding the right partner that works for a particular company, a particular team, that's a really important decision. Don't take it lightly. Put in the effort. Mission critical, and they'd be, from my own experience, I'd be more than uh, they'd be more than impressed to have you guys as that as that ten year journey uh, goes forward. And, and hats off to you guys for open sourcing. To your point about your three documents, you know, you guys are an open book about your process. There's no question how you'll evaluate the business. So again, I think it's all great content. I encourage our listeners to look at on the website. So Santosh, we always wrap up with quick hitters here, a little bit of rapid fire Q and A. If you're ready, we'll jump right in. Let's do it. All right. Number one thing you look for when evaluating a seed stage founder. The ability to engage. What is one resource, book, podcast, blog, whatever you'd recommend to audience to follow in this ecosystem? The Wall Street Journal Logistics Report. Ooh, Paul Page. That is a daily <laughs> must read. Could not agree more. Well done, Paul. Uh, one person who should be on the podcast. Ooh, Carolyn at Next Move. Definitely somebody worth bringing on your podcast. That's a portfolio company, correct? That is a portfolio company. That is right. Right on. And then finally, Santosh, best way for folks to reach out to you? Um, you can uh, reach me in my email. It's Santosh at dynamo.vc. Uh, it is all over the internet. And uh, I make an effort. Uh, to respond to each and every person. So it might take me a couple of days, but you will hear from me if you email me. <laughs> Love it. Well, one of the best in the business. Good friend. Uh, I'm really glad I could turn the podcast tables here. But Santosh, thanks for making some time to jump on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Tack.